Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. When God called Abraham, he said to Abraham that he, Abraham, was to be a blessing. And then he said, I will bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will learn to bless themselves. Many English translations um, render the command that God gave Abraham into a statement, sort of a future tense statement. You see, we're called to be a blessing. We're called to bless people. And one good translation the JPS, Jewish Publication Society, 1917 version, uses some good, lofty English, and it, it captures the idea um, in this phrase, be thou a blessing. So Genesis 12:2, the Lord says, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and be thou a blessing. That conveys the imperative, the commanding form of the language, be a blessing, be a blessing. Many English translations render this in the future tense, and you will be a blessing. That doesn't really convey the attitude. It's a command that God is saying, be a blessing. You see, we're called to be a blessing. That's part of our heritage as sons and daughters, either natural or spiritual or both, of Abraham, we're called to be a blessing. We're called to bless people. And this week's Torah portion includes a great instruction about blessing. So, so let's read that together and see also some examples of how Yeshua blessed both children and adults. So turn to Numbers chapter 6, verse 23. We'll read a few verses, the Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them that this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. You are to say to them, say this. Now, you can translate that into English or into other languages. Um, and, it, and it means something like this, may the Lord bless you. Except in, in the Hebrew, the idea of may the Lord bless you doesn't really um, capture the, the essence. It's more like a proclamation and statement and a prophetic declaration, the Lord bless you, in that form. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Sometimes when we hear the word may in English, you know, we think uh, maybe, maybe not. You know, may he, I don't know, maybe he will. But that's not what the Hebrew is saying. There is an authoritative and proclamatory uh, aspect to this. So you could render it this way. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord show you his grace and his favor. 
The Lord lift up his face to you. The Lord give you shalom. When the Lord lifts up his face to you, it's, it's like this, that he looks up and he sees you and he recognizes you. And he knows who you are in relationship to him. And he's delighted that you're coming towards him. He sees you coming and he's happy for it. In fact, uh, this morning we're going to look at an occasion where Yeshua saw some people who were coming to him and he was really happy. His disciples were unhappy. They considered those people intrusive and disruptive and uh, a waste of time. But Yeshua lifted up his eyes. He saw them and he was so happy they were coming. So they had a little argument, Yeshua and his disciples. And guess who won the argument? <laughs> Yeshua did. So the scripture is teaching us something that we are to speak words of blessing. We speak these words of blessing um, as an affirmation of what we want to see happen for the sake of other people. We speak these words because we know this reflects what God wants to do. So it's not a tentative prayer like, uh, we hope God will bless you. It's more a prayer of confidence, a prayer of um, a great sense of certainty that God is a God who wants to bless and who wants to pour out his blessing on people. When it says, may the Lord show you his favor or may he be gracious to you, it's important for us to understand that the grace of the Lord and the favor of the Lord is not something that we merit. It's unmerited kindness from the Lord. It's not something that we deserve. Any, anybody who's ever held a little baby in their arms, their own little child in their arms, knows this child has not yet done anything but you love him, you love her, because it's in your heart. Not because of what they've done, but because of the love that you have that overflows towards them. In the same way, grace and favor work towards us from the Lord, and he pours out grace and favor even when we don't deserve it. So God is teaching us we want to pray for favor for people who don't deserve it because no one really deserves favor. If it's earned, if it's merited, then it's not favor, it's something else. You could call it wages. May the Lord show you his favor. So we learn to, to bless people who don't deserve blessing because we are people who don't deserve blessing. And then in verse 27, in this way, they are to put my name on the people of Israel so that I will bless them. It's a way of marking someone for the Lord and saying, Lord, this person belongs to you. This person has a special place in my heart and in your heart, and I'm praying these things because I know it's your will how do I know it's your will? Because you've declared it is your will. This is what you're to do. This is how God desires for us to think and to act. So this is how you bless. It says, bless in this way. Thus you are to bless. You bless by speaking these words. We speak these words of blessing, and 
we bless people from our hearts and with the faith that we have in God. And what a blessing it is that, that um, God would keep a person. In, in the Hebrew, the root of uh, this first statement, the, the root is shomer, which means to be a watchman, to be a guard, to stand watch, to, to uh, look out for, to protect, to be a shield as well for a person. Um, God is called Shomer Yisrael, the watchman or the guard of Israel. Who's guarding you? The Lord. So can you imagine the joy that you can experience and the value you can um, associate with this? God is wanting to protect you. Now it's important sometimes that, that we get on the same, um, I'll use a 60s term, wavelength. How many of you remember that? Get on the same wavelength. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time. Get on the same wavelength with the Lord. We, we have to learn what God wants to do. Your will be done in heaven and on earth. Not my will, but your will. What does God want to do? He wants to protect us. That's his attitude. He wants to uh, look out for us. He wants to keep guard over us, and he is a faithful guard. And what a blessing it is for the Lord to, uh, to smile at you when he sees you coming. What a blessing it is for the Lord to give you shalom, not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of, of peace, the presence of, of his joy, the reality of completeness in him, a sense of fullness and fulfillment as well. And this blessing is also important because it's all rooted in the Lord. The source of everything is the Lord. May it be the Lord who's the source of your blessing. May it be the Lord who guards you. May it be the Lord who shines his face upon you. May it be the Lord who shows you favor. May it be the Lord who lifts up his face to you. And may it be the Lord who gives you peace. There are a lot of other places you can look for these things. But the best source for all of these is the Lord. And so this blessing is a conveyance of something good to those who you're praying over. And what a blessing it is to... Uh, have God as the source of your blessing. I was thinking about a time when Sandy and I were working in the former Soviet Union in Central Europe, and um, we were helping lead outreach festivals, Messianic Jewish outreach festivals, and after each night of celebration, we would uh, have a time to pray for people who wanted prayer, and some of those people would come forward because they just gave their hearts to the Lord. Some of them came forward because they just thought they should come forward. Some of them gave their hearts to the Lord like 20 times in a row. Uh, or years ago. And, but some people came because they had this stirring in their hearts, in this sense that God was touching them and wanted to do something. And so Sandy and I developed this habit of asking people if it would be all right if we prayed and asked God to bless them. 
And do you know 100% of those people said yes? No one was against the idea that we would pray for them and bless them. But we would be cautious and, and careful and respectful, even uh, many years ago, asking, is it all right if we lay our hands on you? You know, when you're around believers a lot and you're accustomed to people praying for you and laying hands on you, it doesn't feel strange at all. But if it's a totally new experience, and these are strangers, and you don't know what's going to happen after that, your imagination can run wild. It can be a very uncomfortable thing. But we would ask people, is it all right if we place our hand on your shoulder or put our hands on your head and bless you? And um, sometimes we wouldn't even ask. We would just lift our hands up to bless them. We wouldn't actually um, touch them. But we would ask the Lord to bless them. And there were times when the Holy Spirit would lead us to pray for a couple or an individual in a certain way. Some of you maybe have had this experience. You don't know how to pray for someone, but your heart is open, your spirit's open, and while you're praying, the Lord is guiding you in how to pray for those people. I remember a particular couple, Sandy and I, were, were uh, blessing. That's really what we were doing. We asked permission to, um, to bless them in the name of the Lord, and they agreed. And as we were blessing them with with God's mercy and the love of God and the experience of God, um, I remember them crying. You, Sandy, maybe have some of these memories come to mind too. Um, but their hearts were being touched by the Spirit of God. And they had this sense, maybe they didn't understand it, but they had this sense that God was pouring out something and doing something. Sometimes people don't understand what's happening, but they know it's happening. Sometimes they can't explain it, but they're experiencing it. And there are times when you can, you can bless someone and they will get blessed even though they can't explain what just happened to them. There's power in blessing. And we're given authority to bless. If you are a son or a daughter of Abraham, if you were uh, born of the Jewish people, or if you've joined with the Jewish people through Messiah, then you have the heritage of Abraham, and you have the call of Abraham to be a blessing. Be thou a blessing. How many of you have used the word thou in recent days? Uh, yeah. I didn't think so, but you get a chance right now. Find someone to smile at and say to them, be thou a blessing. It's good old English. Be thou a blessing. Be thou a blessing. Be thou a blessing. Feels good. <laughs> Reminds me of the... Jewish Publication Society, 1917 version that says, and I will make of thee a great nation. That's another form of uh, the good English pronoun we don't use very often. Thee with two E's, just if you were wondering. Those of you who are listening maybe overseas and um, English isn't your first language and you're wondering, I will make of thee? The is another form of you. It's a 
highly respectful, formal, and, and archaic form of you. How be thou today? <laughs> I am delighted to see thee. Can you say that? I don't know. We don't use this very often. Uh, I'm not an expert on that. Paul wrote the Corinthians about his sense of authority, and he said, our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. He said, I'm not ashamed because of that, of using my authority. It's good to know that God gives us authority to bless people so that we don't have to be reluctant. We can actually approach people who need blessing and with the authority that God gives us, we can bless them. Some people only know how to pray for other people according to their problems, not according to the blessing that they need. When we are blessing people, we're, we're considering what good thing they need. For instance, when you bless someone with faith, with an experience of the mercy of God, you bless them with love, you bless them with kindness, those things will remedy a lot of problems. But if you only try to pray for people according to what they don't have, and you're saying, help that person get over their orneriness, <laughs> their meanness, their lack of faith, You see, you can pray for people according to their lack of faith, or you can pray that God would bless them with faith. And when you realize that you can move with authority to bless people in a positive way, it will transform how you look at them, because you'll see the virtues that God wants to convey to them, and you will wholeheartedly be asking for those things to be conveyed to the person. Now let's think for a moment about the Jewish pattern of blessing God. It's, it's quite different from the Christian pattern of blessing God, uh, or a blessing. When, for instance, we say the blessing over wine, we don't ask God to bless the wine. We're not saying, Lord, please bless this wine. I mean, there are times when you are served food that really does need blessing. <laughs> There are certain things it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Lord. <laughs> Help me, Lord. But the normal pattern is to bless God. Baruch atah Adonai. Blessed are you, Lord. So we're blessing the Lord. You see, we're saying, Lord, I recognize that you're the source of this wine. You're the one who gives us this bread. You bring forth bread from the earth. And so I bless you. I bless you, Lord. You are blessed. And with my mouth I proclaim, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Lord. We're not blessing the object. We're blessing God, the giver of the thing we are about to receive. We speak well. We acknowledge the blessings that he provides. 
when we speak blessings to other people, we learn that our words spoken clearly and intentionally can be instruments of blessing. And in this way, they can carry the power of God. When we were um, doing the blessings over the Haftorah readings, one of the things included in that blessing is the statement, you are faithful in all your words, or faithful is he in all his words. His words are full of faith. His words are faithful. His words are true. You see, words have power, and when they're spoken intentionally and clearly, they can be real instruments of blessing. One of the great tragedies of life, I think, is for adult men or adult women to experience the loss of a parent who never said with their own mouth, I love you or I'm proud of you, or you mean so much to me, those things. What a blessing it is to have parents who are not ashamed, they're not reluctant to say, I love you. They can look at their adult children, their little children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and say, I love you. We were with grandchildren this past week, and Sandy asked several of them, do you know what it means to be adored? Because you are adored. We adore you. And a couple of them, yeah, I like being adored. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your children you love them. Tell them you love them. Tell your friends that you value them. Tell others that they're important to you. There was a time when, after, after a time of ministry, someone might come up to me and say, thank you for your, your message, it really touched me. And I would have like this false spiritual humility, and I'd say, well, it was the Lord. But I learned instead to say thank you, and to say thank you because it encourages me what you've said, you've encouraged me. And I realize I need encouragement, so I should thank people when they do encourage me. They might encourage me again later. (laughs) Now, I can do things, and I have done things, without encouragement from anyone. I'm not dependent on that. It's not that if if I feel emotionally positive, I'm going to do... take care of my responsibilities well, but if I don't, eh, I'll just let it go. That's a slacker's attitude. That's not the servant of the Lord's attitude. We want to to be committed in our ministry. We want to serve the Lord in a disciplined way from our hearts with gladness, with joy, but not just being limited by our emotions, because how many of you have, have found this? Emotions go up and down. And there are some things that are very important that you may not want to do. And there's some stuff that's absolutely insignificant that you may want to do. I remember I was counseling a guy who wanted to leave his wife uh, for... Uh, a sweet young thing. And I said to him, whatever you do, don't do what's in your heart. 
Because what's in your heart is evil. Don't do what's in your heart. You know, sometimes people give counsel, well, just do what's in your heart. And they confuse their emotions and their lusts and their attractions with the right thing to do. And if you're a person who only does what's in your heart, oi, for you. Sometimes we have to do what we know is the good thing and the right thing, even when we don't want to do it. And there are times when you'll feel better after you do something that you're committed to. And go ahead and do it and then get the reward later. Don't limit yourself. If your only motivation is your ups and downs emotions, then you will not have the discipline to be faithful. You won't have the discipline to be committed and to persevere. It takes more than uh, just saying, well, I feel I should do this. There are some people who don't serve the Lord because they don't feel. They don't have a feeling about what to do. And we're going to look at a group of those right now. They were called Talmudim, disciples. Now, to be a Talmud, to be a disciple, um, it's, it's a really important character trait uh, that the scriptures talk about, quite different from being a student. A student learns information, but a disciple learns a way of life. Uh, a student learns about things, but a disciple learns to do things. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, we have a situation where the disciples really were not motivated. They had emotions and they had in their hearts the wrong thing, the wrong attitude. They had in their minds the wrong understanding and they took action that was consistent with the wrong things that were in their heart. And so Yeshua had to fix it. And this is how it, how it looks. Mark chapter 10 Verse 13, now people were bringing the little children to Yeshua for him to place his hands on them, and the disciples rebuked those who brought them. You're like, go away, don't bother him. What are you doing? You're interrupting, go away. And it says the disciples, it doesn't name anyone in particular. I read it this way, all the disciples. The disciples together were rebuking those who brought them. It's like they had a little meeting off to the side. What do you think about this? Oh, I don't like it. Me neither. Let's stop it. <laughs> the disciples rebuked, rebuked the people who were bringing their children. Stop that. What are you doing? But when Yeshua saw this, he was indignant. But who was he indignant at? Not the parents, not the children, the disciples. And he told them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I'm sure that these disciples were thinking, 
Children's ministry is not important. And don't they know these kids, they, they're just making noise. They don't belong here. And the parents, they got this, what, what is wrong? They got a wrong attitude. But Yeshua said, truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter and then Yeshua took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. He blessed them in front of his disciples. He blessed them. He spoke words of blessing for them to hear. He conveyed blessings. He conferred what's useful upon them. That's another layer of meaning of blessing someone. He spoke the heart of God to these children in front of his disciples because his disciples did not value what he valued. And they didn't understand what he understood and they were being moved by their emotions which were wrong. And they were being moved by their emotions which agreed with their thinking which was wrong. How were they thinking? Wrong. Reminds me of what my old friend Peter Monticelli used to do. He'd take one hand, stretch out his thumb and his pointing finger and make a V. Take another one, the other hand, he only had two, and <laughs> make another V and he'd bring them together until they formed a W and he would say, wrong. <laughs> wrong. His disciples were wrong. They were just wrong. Now what's interesting is there are three accounts of this in the Gospels. Matthew has it this way, Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Yeshua so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Now, I was thinking about this. Okay, Matthew is writing this. And it's almost as if he's writing it anonymously in a detached way. He could have said, but all of us scolded the parents. <laughs> Instead, he just says, the disciples. But Matthew was a disciple, right? So he's included. The parents brought their children to Yeshua so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. How did they understand what was going on? It was a bother. It was an interruption. It was, it was a nuisance. How dare you interrupt the master? What are you thinking? You should be ashamed of yourselves, parents. And Yeshua says, let the kids alone. Leave them alone. Don't hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then verse 15, an interesting statement. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there and he went to another place. So he laid his hands on, he prayed for, he blessed the children, even though his disciples were against it. He valued 
the children. He valued ministering to them. He valued what was happening and the opportunity. And he wasn't ready to go on to the next thing until he did this, until he took time to be with the children and he blessed them. Luke 18, verses 15 through 17, the third account, with one more detail. Now people were even bringing their babies to Yeshua. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're holding a baby, they have a little vomit, a little spillage. How many have experienced that? And there are times when you may have a, something, you know, to catch it. Um, and there are times when you don't. And there are times when I've had like a cloth on this shoulder and then the child suddenly gains upper body strength <laughs> and leans back and then lands on the other shoulder where there is no covering. And at that very moment, in all, all this child's joy, something comes forward. And it really doesn't bother me. <laughs> it's what you get with kids. People were bringing their babies to Yeshua for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked those who brought them. But Yeshua called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Yeshua called the children to him, and he said to his disciples, let them come to me. And there were even times when Yeshua was talking to these grown men who were his disciples, and he said to them, little children. He called them little children. And I'm sure for some people it was endearing, and for other people it was insulting. It's like, he said to the guys, boys, now let's look at Yeshua's last words, which include words of blessing. This is in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 44. And remember, Yeshua has been crucified, he was buried and he rose from the dead. But after he was crucified, after he was buried in that waiting time which was filled with agony and despair for all the disciples, they were having to battle this idea, all is lost. Everything we had hoped for has failed. We thought he was the Messiah, but he's not. Yeshua had warned them, and yet they could not accept his warning that the scriptures speak about Messiah needing to suffer, Messiah dying and rising from the dead. But it wasn't a popular idea. In fact, it wasn't popular at all. 
It wasn't part of the common tradition of that era. And yet Yeshua continued to explain, to teach, to people whose hearts and minds were closed about this. They thought one thing, that the proof of Messiah's uh, reign, his messianic authority, is that he would immediately usher in victory and freedom, and that this would be, in, in their case, the vanquishing of Rome, of the oppressors and the occupiers from Rome, and that Israel would have governmental freedom, and that this would be evidence that Yeshua was Messiah. So when the Romans killed him, it was as if their whole concept of Messiah was shattered and disappointed. They were left with nothing. And in that sorrow, they were utterly surprised when he rose from the dead. Even though he said he would, they were shocked when the women came to announce this. The men thought they were babbling, just speaking nonsense. But in fact, Yeshua had risen from the dead, and then he appeared on many occasions to the disciples in many different places. And that began to, uh, to fix the disappointment and the sorrow and the sense of loss. He rose from the dead. He was alive. But then... There came a time when Yeshua was ready to go, to return to heaven. And he had tried to prepare his disciples at Passover when he said, I have to go back in order to send the Holy Spirit to you. I have to do this. The mandate of Messiah includes returning to heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit, as God has promised. And Yeshua said, I'm going to have to do that. And at Seder, he said, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will send the comforter. I will send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit to you. And he'll lead you. He'll be with you. He'll fill you. But the disciples had difficulty embracing that message. And when it was time for Yeshua to go, there was a part of them that was still struggling, and they were struggling with, with the right understanding on one hand, and they were struggling with their own expectations too. And they thought, if he goes, then again all is lost. This thing ends prematurely. And that's the context for Yeshua's last actions that are recorded in Luke 24. He said to them, verse 44, these are my words which I spoke to you when I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the Torah from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Tanakh. This is very interesting. He opened their minds to comprehend the Tanakh. The Greek language there means something like this. He opened their understanding so that they could comprehend the big picture and see all the details correctly. Many English translations say he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. How many of you have that in your version? Well, that's not inaccurate, but the scriptures that it's speaking of, 
are the Tanakh, because those were the only scriptures that had been given at that time. None of the writings of the apostles had been um, completed at that moment. None of the gospels, none of the epistles, none of the further writings in the book of Revelation and so forth, none of that had been written. The only scriptures that are being referred to here are the Jewish scriptures, the Tanakh, the Torah that was given through Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, and by implication when you have those three things, uh, Ketuvim, the other writings as well. He opened their minds to understand the Tanakh, to comprehend it. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. He said that, and this was now the first time when they could grasp it. Not only did they have uh, the wrong understanding about little children, they had the wrong understanding about suffering. They had the wrong understanding about Messiah and the evidence of Messiah and what was necessary for Messiah to accomplish. And so at this moment, he opens their minds so that they can comprehend it. Some of us need our minds open so we can read the scriptures and understand what the scriptures say that we could see the big picture and allow the authority of the scriptures to actually um, rule over our prior understandings. Thus it is written, Messiah would suffer. Well, they thought that suffering was a bad thing. Suffering was defeat if it was the Messiah who suffered. They did not grasp that Messiah must suffer and that the scriptures speak about that and that there was a redemption associated with that suffering. They didn't understand it until this moment, and only at this moment do they get it. Their minds have been opened up. He said, you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, and, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So he gives them instruction. He says, I am going, but you need to stay. You need to stay in Jerusalem and stay together. Sometimes people don't appreciate how much it took for these disciples to stay together. They don't appreciate the, the miracle of agreement and the miracle of unity. When the children of Israel were at Sinai, they had unity. When the children of Israel were with Yeshua, at this moment, they had unity together. You know, we have a saying, where there are two Jews, there are three opinions. Imagine when you've got 12 Jews, or 120 Jews, or thousands of Jews. Do you understand the miracle that agreement is? Verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. 
Do you remember that moment when Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me carried up into heaven, then you'll get a double portion. But I, if you're not there, you get nothing. Well, in this case, the disciples are still wrestling with the emotion, you need to stay here and we don't want you to go. Some parents have had this experience, your little kids start crying when you need to go and you leave them with a babysitter or someone else in the family. And if you let your heartstrings be tugged by that, you will think, oh, I can't, I can't go. Well, I'm sure that his disciples were struggling and they were thinking, you can't go. You can't go, Yeshua. But then he, he opens up their minds and something changes in the way they think and how they understand the scriptures. And they start thinking back and remembering what Yeshua has taught them that went against what they thought was correct. But he was, he was the right one. And now Yeshua says, I've got to return to heaven and you've got to stay here and stay together. And I have the feeling that Yeshua really knew how to uh, minister to their hearts. Because while he's blessing them, he starts rising and disappears into the sky, into the heavens. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there, I don't think I'd forget that moment. How about you? You're standing there, Yeshua is saying, okay, we're ready for the next part. You all stay together. You all stay here in Jerusalem. Don't leave. Don't go somewhere else. Keep your unity. Keep, keep that solidarity together. Just wait and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and I love you, and I bless you with faith and hope, and I know you're going to be men of God. And as he's speaking these words, we don't know what the words were. I'm just imagining. He's speaking, and all of a sudden, holy smokes. <laughs> off he goes. Well, I think that sense of awe probably solved all the fear that they had about what was next. And afterwards, they were able to do what Yeshua had told them. They went back to Jerusalem from Bethany, and they stayed together. And they waited for Shavuot, and they waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't bicker, and they didn't argue. They had one mind. It was a miracle. They had one heart. It was a miracle. They thought well together. They, they had peace between each other. And that helped prepare them for when the Holy Spirit was poured out, that they could receive this gift of God and then minister boldly to other people. What a great way that Yeshua blessed. And I, I believe that you and I want to be people who bless. We want to learn from Yeshua's example to bless people. To bless people that others don't think deserve blessing, to have an attitude of blessing. And in fact, Yeshua taught us that we should be such people that we can bless people who, who aren't our friends, who don't deserve blessing, 
Yeshua said, bless those who mistreat you, those who persecute you. And so I want to encourage you to, to make a short list of people who you can bless who don't deserve it. The people on your mistreatment list. Well, this person shouldn't have done that, but they did. They mistreated me. They disrespected me. They didn't show honor to me. They were unloving to me. They did something I don't want to forgive. And can you go through that list and say, Lord, would you bless them? Bless them with faithfulness. Bless them with mercy. Bless them with love. Bless them with your goodness. Now, if you've got a really long list, I don't know what to say other than start with the short list. <laughs> and think of those who really need blessing from God. Their behavior, maybe their character, uh, is evidence of that. But you're called to be a person who blesses. God has given you authority to bless. And my hope and prayer is that as we move from the time of Shavuot and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the celebration of the giving of the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Scriptures, that you and I would use this season to, to bless other people. And then as we're blessing them to see transformation in their lives because the goodness of God is poured out on them. Let's pray for that. Lord, I thank you that you bless us even though we don't deserve it. And you are a faithful God. All of your words are true. You've given us authority to bless. Authority to bless not just our friends, but to bless those who have been in opposition to us. To bless those who feel like enemies. To bless those who have mistreated us and to bless those who have even persecuted us. And let it be, Lord, that we are truly sons and daughters of Abraham and we take to heart and we live out that command, be thou a blessing. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I want to ask you to stand as we again speak those words of blessing. If you're standing by yourself, would you move just a little bit so that you're with someone, so you're not alone. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you with his favor. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you the Lord's shalom. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Shabbat